Lifeguard, Decatur, Dallas, Fort Worth, and KYJC, Commerce. Portions of KDKR programming do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or staff. Prudent Money with Bob Brooks is sponsored by the Prudent Money Foundation on 91.3. Well, are we about to start seeing some major change? Today we're going to take a look. Stay tuned for Prudent Money. listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know I do appreciate it. Well, we are facing potentially a big year of change. What will our country look like a year from now? Crown Financial CEO and author Chuck Bentley is here today to give us some insight. Chuck, great to have you on board today. Well, Bob, it's great to be back with you. And I also want to say what a joy it was to get to meet face-to-face before Christmas and December and to continue to develop our friendship. It was a real honor for me. Oh, that goes that goes both ways. And uh, boy, that that seems like months ago, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a year ago, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Well, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, thank you for those words. Thank you. I mean, if, uh, definitely the same way. You wrote a book entitled Seven Gray Swans, and that book talks about seven potential country-changing events that could occur over the next several years. I, you know, from time to time, I'd like to have you talk about this, kind of review where we are in the development of some of these trends. What do you think about things overall? Well, overall, I think there's more gray swans than we had four years ago when I yes. wrote the book. I think that, I think that if I changed the title, it would be more like uh, 14 gray swans. It seems like they're yeah. coming at us every day. Yeah, or just a, a lot, a lot of trends because it is it is amazing how things are are changing. Let, let's start with the definition of a gray swan and a little further explanation of the book. Well, a gray swan is an obvious danger that we tend to ignore. We sort of write it off. We know it's out there. It's it's in contrast to the black swan, which is unpredictable. A black swan is a devastating economic event that nobody saw coming. Uh, but a gray swan is something that it's sort of there, it's lurking in the shadows, and we say, eh, it's never going to happen, so just let's just move on. Those are the ones that I wrote about. Sorry about that. I had a little problem with my mic. Uh, it was interesting what you said uh, just a, a few minutes ago about you know how you, how you would call it 14 gray swans. It seems like there's so many things that are just popping up that are definite risks the market's not really paying attention to it everybody kind of goes oh hum but uh, there's just a, a lot of things i think we got to really take seriously and and i call this a year of change be, really because of the elections i think that this election year is going to be one for the ages you know if trump wins some big game changing events could happen that change the country if biden wins or how about this one if he doesn't even end up being the candidate and somebody that we don't even see coming, uh, that could, could create some great change. Now, change also can be good or bad. However, it takes change to create the environment necessary, necessary for these gray swan events to really happen. 
Well, I, I agree with you. It is going to be a year of change. And one thing that I pray for, and this is a comment that's truly agnostic to whether you're conservative or or liberal, but we should pray for political stability. Uh, because when yes. instability occurs, uh, Bob, as you know, it, it shakes the markets. And if our markets get shaken, if the good faith and confidence in the U.S. government to keep its promises uh, ever falters, and uh, the world doesn't believe us anymore, uh, that will be a cataclysmic day for our country and for all of us. And so we should all pray that we have political stability. That's, that's my prayer going into this election. Well, i got to start with one question before we, we dive into the trends. You know, do you look at artificial intelligence as a potential gray swan you know, after all, it, it really could be used for good or bad. And in fact, I think it's one of those things where we just really don't know that a lot, a whole lot about it. And, you know, could it be the missing technology that's needed for some of these gray swans to occur? Well, I think that's a that's a great insight, Bob, and it's on my radar. I like to read about it, the pros and the cons. And when it first sort of hit the scene, it it rattled the world, and certainly Elon Musk fired the warning signal that this could be devastating to uh, to civilization. And uh, he still feels that it needs to have constraints and regulation put around it to prevent it from being uh, harmful and destructive. But one of the trends that's happening with artificial intelligence is that it's been proven to be highly biased. It's really not intelligence. It's just quickly gathering the available data and putting it uh, before us in a, in a format that uh, we can request quickly. You know, it's amazingly fast. However, because it's biased, it's losing some of its luster. People are asking it questions and getting a political bias or an anti-Christian bias or a woke bias. And uh, they're saying, if, and if that happens, it's not going to be as uh, prominent of uh, adoption rate that people think. I have an account, and I find myself not using it very often. I don't know about you, Bob, but do you use it very often? Have you integrated it into your business practices at all? You know, not, not at all. Not at all. In fact, I, I, uh, when I want to talk about it on the radio, so I almost hate to bring it up because I'm, I'm unsure how much people really know about it, and I'll be the first to say, you know, I'm kind of in the initial stages of really trying to research it? Well, that's a common answer, that people are aware of it. They know it's a potential gray swan. It could be bad. And as you said, being fair, it could be good as well. But I don't see it as this massive job displacement uh, tool right now that it was forecast to be. You know, a lot of things get hyped and they don't really turn out to be nearly as uh, potent as people had projected, like autonomous driving. Uh, right now, it doesn't right. look like that's going to take over the world. Uh, for a while, it, it was threatening to take over the world, but right now, I don't see that happening. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that, because we, uh, we talk a lot about that on the, on the radio, because there's just the, the things that are standing in its way, in my opinion, just like you were talking about it a second ago, there's just absolutely no way with, uh, you know, we can start with the infrastructure. It's definitely not there. And how long will it take to really build that out? It, but it, it just seems like that's something that, that has been built up over the years and, and really is 
pretty much Im impossible to get to the level that uh, the politicians feel like it's going to get to. Well, a friend of mine rented an electric vehicle <laughs> on one of his vacations, and his wife told him she didn't want to, and he said, oh, it'll be great. Uh, you know, we'll learn about it, blah, blah, blah. Well, he should have listened to his wife because they ended up getting towed uh, back to the place where they rented it because they couldn't find a charging station. Yes. Yes. And it was a nightmare. It was just a nightmare experience. Yeah, about the same thing happened to a buddy of mine. He and his wife were going to California and got stuck in California traffic trying to look for a charging station at the same time. I mean, like, they barely made it. And once they got there, it took an hour and a half to, to wait in line and to get a, get a charge. So I don't think that that's going to be something that we're going to have to really keep on the radar. But uh, definitely the artificial intelligence we'll want to keep on the radar. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your first grade, Swan, about basic universal income. And uh, this definitely, uh, with, with a lot of the uncertainty, p potential uncertainty of candidates, could uh, be something that comes back up this year. Well, you're exactly right. It's always popular around election time. The idea is so appealing that the government's just going to send everybody a monthly check. There'll be no requirements to earn it, no expectations of what you'll do with it. And the early studies were touting that, you know, voila, this was just uh, a silver bullet. Sending people money every month was going to eliminate poverty and uh, take care of societal ills by closing the wealth gap. And there were all kinds of people saying that it was, uh, you know, going to be a great thing. Even the Pope endorsed it. Elon Musk said he thought it would be a great thing. It turns out it's not working so well. Uh, the latest is that there's only about eight states in America that are really trying to implement it. And what they've done is they've started to limit it, particularly around the time frame. Like some states are saying, we'll do this for six months to help a person get back on their feet. It's no longer unlimited, like an ongoing promise that they'll get money in the mailbox for nothing every month. Sure. So I think we're sort of coming to our senses. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know I do appreciate it. Uh, Chuck Bentley is my guest today. He comes on once a month to give some ideas and thoughts on stewardship, and we talk a little bit about the markets. And one thing that we like to do every so often is talk about specifically one of his books, The Seven Gray Swans, trends that you really need to keep an eye on and uh, that could threaten our financial future. It's the thing I love about this book. It's just it's it's just big enough. It's a small book that contains a lot of great information. Doesn't take very long to read it, and you have no excuse not to get up the curve on what is sitting out there and what you need to know about. So you can get more information on this at crown.org, and uh, that's where also you can ask uh, Chuck a question if you if you need to. Do you uh, you know? Let's let's say that we have a a switch of candidates and it's a situation where uh, president biden's not running how likely do you think it is that they could make this and turn this into uh, a, a a push to to make happen <laughs> well i don't know you're 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 asking me a very difficult question bob i would rather hear your answer on that that reminds me a little bit uh uh, what Yogi Berra once said, he said, uh, 
forecasts are very difficult, especially about the future. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen there. I would say what is important to me is that we return to a, a sense of confidence uh, in our candidates and in the election process itself. Yes. And that we uphold the rule of law. And I think underneath the surface, everybody is concerned about those issues. That are we really going to have an election where people trust the results uh, and that uh, the process is honored so that uh, we, we can have confidence and stability? I think that's the bigger issue. Obviously, if there's a surprise candidate on either side, it's going to be uh, it's going to be wild. I, I think that, you know, we have to remember this is not our home. Uh, I think we get fearful, especially around um, election times. Politics is really dominant in uh, in our minds now. It's dominating the media. You cannot escape it. But we're far more than our politics. You know, when you get away from all of that, you see, like I was just thinking where I live right now, things are great. <laughs> we're, mm-hmm. it's, right. we're, we're not hating each other. We're not fighting each other. We're getting along. Our society's functioning well. Economy's stable and growing. Uh, and, it's, and it's almost like this is being forced down into mm-hmm. our mindset, mm-hmm. when in reality, we're doing pretty well at a local level. Let's talk a little bit about digital currency. Uh, you know, it's interesting if you look at the statistics, about 80% of all transactions kind of follows the 80-20 rule, according to the experts. 80% of all transactions are digital transactions. And, of course, the Federal Reserve Board has been, they say that they're working on a switch over to a digital dollar. Talk a little bit about what that is and uh, why you feel like that's a great swan. Well, I, I do think it is definitely a grace one and one that everybody should be aware of because we're moving more and more to a cashless society. Uh, central banks believe they're going to have to compete with these independent sources of digital currency like Bitcoin or stable coins. And so they're talking about central bank digital currency, CBDC. Uh, and I think it's inevitable. I, I personally believe that it's coming. Uh, and that we need to be prepared for it. I can't tell you how soon or how uh, complete it will be, but I'm a proponent of people using cash. Cash allows us privacy, and privacy allows for freedom. Uh, You know, our counter-argument is, well, if you're doing nothing wrong with money, why should you be fearful? I, I agree with that argument, except for the fact that all of us need to be able to um to make financial decisions and place funds where we want them to go without having to be scrutinized, particularly in our charitable giving and in our travels. I would hate to, uh, there to be a day when an edict might be issued to say, uh, you know, we're not going to allow this guy to board the plane. Uh, we're not going to allow uh, that ticket to be purchased. We're not going to allow that charitable gift to be made. Privacy is a wonderful thing, and it's 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 really foundational to having economic freedom. You know, Chuck, the question that I get a lot, and I'm sure you get this as well, where, where does, you know, cyber currencies fit into the, uh, to the order of things? Bitcoin and that's that type of thing. Could, could that be a currency? I mean, the current currency. Well, yeah, I think it's got, 
it's got the hallmarks of being able to create what I would consider a universal currency where you try to, uh, you know, do away with the variations between uh, currency exchanges by having some sort of uh, immediate adjustment uh, wherever you go or travel. And I think that it makes some sense economically, logistically, efficiently. All of that uh, is certainly where I think we're headed. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I think as believers, uh, we need to be very aware that uh, using our cash and being proponents of economic privacy, thus economic freedom, is a great is a great position to take and to stand on. I don't think we need to be soft on speaking up about our need for freedom uh, when it comes to financial decisions. Talk what you mean about modern monetary theory. This is probably something a lot of people don't really understand. Well, if you look it up, it's actually a, a, an economic theory that people who print their own currency can print it uh, into infinity without consequence. The, the idea, some people call it the, the monopoly money theory, <laughs> is that if you're the banker in Monopoly, you can just keep putting money into the system without consequence. And, and they particularly say that debt doesn't matter for people who print their own currency because they can pay off their own debt by printing more money. And it's really, uh, uh, it sounds on the surface like uh, it could be right, but when you analyze it more deeply, you realize that it could create a currency crisis, a crisis of confidence, because at some point all systems of currency are built on whether or not people trust them. And so we are practicing modern monetary theory right now. That's how our government functions. We believe that we can do whatever we want. You look at some of this legislation, of, oh, we're going to send this many billions to this country or this many billions to this bailout program. And it makes no sense in terms of uh, how we're ever going to pay it back. And so we're creating mountains and mountains of debt, which is uh, not sustainable, especially in a rising interest rate environment. So I don't like modern monetary theory, but we're practicing it, and we need to speak up about it and ask our government, uh, whether it's uh, local, state, or federal, to live within our means and to have constraint on how much money we print. You know, and it's, it's, it's a, uh, a practice that is just no big deal anymore. You know, do you, do you want to send $100 billion here or $100 billion there or whatever the number is? It's, uh, you know, I remember, Chuck, 10, 15 years ago that, that it was a big deal if you spent that kind of money. But today it's just, it's just no big deal. And what's, that has a lot of uh, unintended consequences that, that could occur because of it. Well, no doubt about it, Bob. I mean, uh, currency is only as good as, um, as its guarantee, as, it's, as it, the promise that it makes, that it's worth what it says it's worth. And when people lose confidence in it, they run from it. And when you run from it, 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 can, be, uh, it can collapse. And actually, if you look at the history of a currency collapse, it always occurs when two things happen. One is when there's excessive runaway debt, and second is when political instability happens and people don't believe that there's uh, anybody driving the bus, you know, that it's off the rails. That's why I think we've got the potential for those two things to happen to America. We're 
we lose political stability while also having runaway debt. And uh, I think modern monetary theory and the idea that we're headed into a very uh, contentious election is a, is a dangerous time for us. You know, you know what's interesting? You could have written this, this book uh, this year, and it would be so applicable to what's going on. Well, it's four years old, Bob, and in some ways, <laughs> I know that's uh, I unbelievable. Was before, I was a man, but I was a man before my time. It it just seemed to be getting worse. So let's talk about what you mean by democratic socialism. Yeah, what I mean by that is it's a new way to describe um, uh, a political philosophy moving towards socialism, which is a centralized economy where the government. Uh, picks the winners and losers, and they, the government picks uh, what, uh, who they're going to heavily uh, tax and control, and who they're going to redistribute funds to. Uh, it's a it's a fancy way of trying to minimize people's concern about outright socialism, but it it's not in line with what you and I would know as historically as liberalism. You know, liberalism was whether or not you you uh, believed uh, in a balanced budget or not. You know, well, democratic socialism isn't even close to that. It does embrace modern monetary theory. It does embrace redistribution of wealth. It does embrace uh, centralized control over the economy with the idea of a utopian equality, uh, which we all know doesn't work. And the problem is, is that the younger generation is starting to see this philosophy as a Christian view. Really? Uh, and if you ask young people, uh, do they believe in it, most of them would say, yes, that's what Christ would teach. And that's where it gets scary to me. Yeah, and you know, and uh, we'll have to pick up on the rest of these uh, next time. But I want a couple of things about what you're talking about with democratic socialism. It seems to me, and I, and I would love your comments on this, that that this really, as if this movement gets stronger, you have, uh, say, you, you have more of that in the White House for the next four years, or even eight years, that that lays the ground, of the, the foundation for these other gray swans to really start to mature. Well, yeah, 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 you're exactly right. But it's not just this current election, Bob. It's the entire education system that is preparing young people to see that uh, democratic socialism is a utopian form of government that uh, needs to replace what we would call a, a, a traditional capitalistic philosophy. And uh, they see that as evil. They see that as uh, greedy people wanting to, uh, you know, take from others, kind of like... Uh, you know, all wealthy people are bad. That philosophy of the one percenters and and the privileged uh, wealth uh, that's being driven into the minds of uh, our young people through our training, our our academic systems, and so that needs to be counterbalanced with true biblical teaching um, of what God said about economics. The book is Seven Gray Swans, written by Chuck Bentley, who is my guest today. And uh, Chuck, always good talking to you. We'll pick up uh, where we left off next month, so I want to talk a little bit more about this. And, uh, and uh, hey, as always, thanks for coming on the program. 
Appreciate you, Bob. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. If you got a question for me, please go to the website at prudentmoney.com and send it in because we are all out of time. Till we do meet again next time, keep the faith and have a great rest of the day. That's all the time we have for today. Questions or comments for Bob or to find out more great information like what you've just heard, visit www.prudentmoney.com. Be sure to join Bob Brooks again for the next edition of Prudent Money.